So uh, the book of Esther is kind of a, an enigma for many folks who, who study the scriptures, uh, because in the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned. Uh, because, of the name, because the name of God is not mentioned, many would, would think that this book should not even be in the canon. You know, the, there's the, the canon, the 66 books, the 39 new, old, and 27 new, that we, we believe are the word of God. And there's certain books that were, were challenged, and, and some were uniformly, yes, we'll accept those, and some were kind of challenged and debated. Uh, the first uh, really canon that we have, both in the Old and the New Testament, was the Moratorium Canon, about 125 A.D. Uh, so the, the church recognized these sets of books early on in their ministry. So we can trust them as the Word of God. So the debate of this book really is because it's, it's, it's all narrative, uh, thinking about the life of Esther and, and Mordecai, but the, the, the name of God is not mentioned. But even though the name of God is not mentioned, his hand is traced through this entire book. It's a wonderful picture of God's providence. Let's walk through this text. The first is this idea of a, of a kingly reception. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the days of... Um, I, I'm going to butcher a lot of names, y'all. Okay? So just, just know that off the bat. So if you're saying, well, Pastor Dave pronounced it this way, make sure you go to your internet browser and type in ESV and have it read, read to you to make sure it's pronounced the right way. Um, Ahasuerus, um, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia. This is also uh, Exerces uh, I, uh, which is his Greek name. Over 120 provinces in those days when King Ahasuerus uh, sat in the royal throne in, uh, royal throne in Susa, the citadel. In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the, and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. Now, it probably was not a continual 180-day feast. It was probably a, a period of festivals. So in our, in our culture, we, you know, we have um, uh, come see me. Come see me is, is a seven-week-long uh, seven festival. There's not one uniform party for seven days, but if there's a lot of events, a lot of different things happening, and we can come and celebrate. It's just, just around the corner, one of my favorite times uh, here in Rock Hill. Uh, but notice what the king is doing here. He's trying to show his own glory. He has no concern for God or the things of God. He's really concerned about himself, which is really the common the trait of most kings in the day. They wanted to draw it to themselves. He was a rich king at 127 provinces. So he's bringing all his leaders, all his governors, all his, his, his leaders, and he's saying, look at this wonderful banquet, wonderful spread, and I want you to know how powerful and mighty I am. We see that even in Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember his story, he looked out at his land and look at all the, my kingdom, all that I have done. And very quickly the Lord humbled him. We don't see that humiliation of, of, of this king here. Uh, we just see him celebrating his own greatness. Verse 5. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people, President Seuss of the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Now, it's interesting here. It says that the king, this, this festival at the end, after 180 days, there was a, a time of a seven-day feast. And this seven-day feast was for, for those both great and small, implying that this was for everybody in the entire uh, area, both the rich and the poor. Verse 6. There were white cotton curtains, and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen, and purple 
to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver and a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels. Vessels of different kinds and royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And the drinking was according to this edict. There was no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all his staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. So what you see here is this great land, great celebration. Right? Everybody in the area was going to see how great this king was. You know, and, and sometimes when you read the scriptures, you try to figure out why does he have all these decorations here? Why does the, the specifics of the, the different kind of uh, couches, couches of gold and silver, the, the different kinds of linen? What I think he's trying to do, he's trying to paint the, how grand and glorious this banquet is. So this king is having this incredible spread so that everybody there would realize how important he is and to submit and to bow down to his greatness. Okay? It kind of, the story is kind of highlighting how great the king thinks he is. But then what you see is you see this, this king's refusal. The king is refused by his own wife. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Agabatha, Zetha, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with the royal crown, in order to show the peoples and princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now notice that he was more concerned with how Queen Vashti made him look than Queen Vashti herself, right? Queen Vashti was already throwing a separate party for, for women, but he wanted everyone to look at the beauty of his wife, truly a trophy wife, right? Look at my wife, again, as a sign of my own greatness and, and power. But, verse 12, Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. One of the things uh, you will see with pride, pride, uh, proud men is that when their um, position is questioned, they have anger. They are enraged, right? Uh, you see this even in our day. Now, we, we, we don't have a lot of kings that we may have interaction with, but you know an angry man when you see him. Right, And usually the, the, the result of their anger is because something is not done to my specification. You do not do something my way. Why did you not do it the way I wanted you to? There's this enragement. How dare you go against me? And they may not say those words, but there's this rage that kind of fills up in their, in their heart. And you may see that. Some of you may have grown up with people, uh, fathers like that. Some of you may have husbands or spouses like that, wives. It is not uncommon that this rage would accompany. The anger burned within him. Why? It's because someone questioned him. The queen Vashti would not come to him. Now remember, you have 180 days of festival. You have seven days when everyone, both great and small, he calls his beautiful wife, this pinnacle of the celebration, and his wife says, I'm not coming. 
So the, the, the picture of, I want to show how great and powerful I am, so all my subjects would submit to me, and then his wife does not, does not come. He, he's, he's more enraged at what people think of him now. They're going to question his, his leadership. We see the, the king's response here in verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, uh, Setha, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marcina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. So these men were his wise men, were his counselors, the princes of uh, Persia and, and Media, and they would have saw his anger. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone's really angry, that's not the time you really want to talk. You kind of want to just fold your hands and listen. Uh, but, they, but it's also an opportunity. Because if you are one who wants to gain favor with someone, really what you want to do is you want to just say what the king wants to hear. I'm just going to, I'm going to appease you. I'm going to pacify your anger by just doing what you, what you want. So we see that here in verse 15. It says, According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of the king, Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs. Then Memukan said to the presence of the king and the officials, this is one of the seven princes who speaks, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. So he's trying, to, he's trying to up the ante here. Listen, she's not just wronged you, she's wronged us, she's wronged everybody, because we all believe the importance of honoring the king. And she doesn't. She has offended everybody in Persia. Verse 17. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say to the, to the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. For if it please the king, let the royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the, and the Medes, that it may, be, may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all the kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes. And the king did as Memukan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in his own script, and to its people in its own language. And every man be master in his own, to, in his own household, and speak according to the language of his people. So you kind of see what's happening here. Queen Vashti doesn't come in, and, and, and his officials are like, what are you going to do about it? Right? You can't allow her to do this, because if you allow her to do it, you're going to have unrest in the entire kingdom. Now, one of the things that's important if you're looking at ancient times of how does a king keep rule and order in, in an empire, he wants to keep peace. And sometimes he keeps peace by allowing people to practice one, their own religion, 
Or sometimes he tries to unify the people by only practicing one religion. Just look at how different emperors have kind of unified their own uh, empires throughout the ages. But he also wants to make sure that this woman, or that all people are going to respect the king's authority. And his, 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 his officials are in some sense right. If you allow the queen to disrespect you, that's only going to cause other people to disrespect you as, as well. Which I think is, is a key principle here. That if you're in leadership, how you respond is going to have a trickle-down effect towards others. And we see that throughout ages, right? So Queen Vashti, how the queen, one of the leaders of the empire, responds to the king will have a trickle-down effect to how others respond uh, throughout the empire. We see that how, how a president handles himself will kind of trickle down on how the rest of the culture handles himself. How a pastor handles himself will have a trickle down effect on how the people of God handle themselves. How a, how a boss and the culture that a boss creates in, in your workplace will have a trickle down effect uh, to everybody else. Everybody in leadership has to make a decision on how they want to handle themselves and how they will allow things to happen in their, in the, 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 the group or the uh, number of people that they have influence over. So if you're a boss, some of you have uh, management responsibilities at your job, if you allow person A to always show up late, like 30 minutes late and you say nothing about it, and you just kind of don't let anything happen, well, my boss says that person A can be late, so guess what? I'm going to start being late. I mean, person A is okay with it. So why, why, why can't I be with it? So then what, what ends up happening to that environment of the office it starts to erode. Punctuality is not a cultural value of the office, so there's no, for, there's no more cultural value. So there's no more punctuality in, in, that, in that place. So I think what, what, what I think the uh, Memocon, I think is wise in saying, listen, if you allow this to happen here, it's only going to spread. The natural heart of man is to, to disrespect authority. Because we know that God is the ultimate authority, and because God is the ultimate authority, we want to submit under his, his leadership. Uh, well, because of the fall, because uh, Adam and Eve did not submit to God's authority, but rejected it, rebelled against it, now in us there is this inherent, I don't need to listen to authority, I need to listen to myself. Now if you notice in the text, there's no reason why Queen Vashti didn't come. She, she, she may not have come for good reason, but the text doesn't care. Because that's not the point. The point is, the king was disrespected. What are you going to do about it? So this is the, the, the kind of the idea of you see this, this working in of God's providence. Uh, because right now, we have no idea who Queen Vashti is and how does this have to do with the Lord. Well, what has to do with the Lord is because of Queen Vashti's decision of rejecting the king, the king says, what? I'm going to find another wife. I'm going to find someone else to fill her shoes. Enter in God's providence in his story. Look at chapter 2. After these things, when the king of the anger of the king Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. It's kind of like cooler heads prevail. He started to think, <laughs> I really like my wife, and now I have banished her from my presence ever again. Right? Um, then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, all 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia, 
to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem of Insusa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So you have this uh, large pageant, okay, over the whole entire empire, right? Uh, so it's, it's American idol uh, for the king, right? But the only thing that really matters is their beauty, right? So they're going to come to the capital, all 127 provinces. We're going to find the best, beautiful young virgins and bring them to me. They're going to have six months, uh, or was it, a year of preparation. You'll see this in a second. Six months of, of spices and six months of oil to purify themselves before they're brought to the king. And then the king is going to decide, yes, you are good enough for me. Now look at how all this is, is happening. Verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa. Now remember, this is in the Hebrew Bible, and so far we have nothing about the Jews. Now we know that Persia was where a lot of the, 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 the Jews ended up after the, uh, the exile. I'm sorry, when they got taken into exile to Babylon, and then uh, Persia and, and, and Babylon together, there was... Uh, so uh, Persia came in first and then Babylon. So that's where a lot of the Jews ended up. It says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of uh, Jair, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with, with uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. So there's this, this Jew who was in uh, a, a, a Benjaminite who was carried away into exile, right, along with other Jews. And where did this king, where did Mordecai, this Jew, end up? Well, he ended up in Susa, the citadel, where all these young women were going to be brought to. Verse 7. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor her mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, there were many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in custody of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and put in the custody of Haggai, who had the charge of the women. The young women pleased him, and the young woman, sorry, pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young woman to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So when you read this, there's just a lot of details here that, that you have to really think, okay, what is going on here? What's going on to young Esther? Uh, Esther is, is a beautiful young woman. You know, I, I think that the, sometimes in, in the scriptures, we know that the, the true beauty that we want to honor young ladies uh, is... Uh, a, 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 a quiet and gentle spirit, right? It's the inner spirit of a heart which God honors more. Beauty is fleeting and charm is deceptive, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And yet at the same time, it doesn't discount beauty. Several times as we read throughout the scriptures that, you know, there is beauty in this world. You know, Sarah, uh, who married Abraham, was a beautiful woman. This idea of, of beauty. Uh, even speaking of Joseph, it said, it said Joseph was a very handsome man. 
David was ruddy and handsome as well. He was a redhead too. Anyway, um, so he, he understands this beauty. And remember understanding what, what, what's happening here. Esther had a mother and a father who died. We don't know how old Esther was, but you know how, how, how life-shaping that is for someone to lose a, a mother and a father? And in God's kindness, who, who stepped up? It was Mordecai. It says that he, he, he was that Esther was his uncle's daughter. So we don't know the, the relation. Were they cousins or was it uh, uh, an uncle by marriage? You know, we don't know all, all the details here. Either way, Mordecai stepped in to act as, as a father here. But just think about the pain and the anguish of this young girl. Esther, who no longer has her mother and father, she's brought up by Mordecai, someone who, who loves her, but they're in a land that's not their own. She was a young, young girl and was carried on into exile herself, right? I mean, she may have been, in, um, been carried away, or maybe her parents were carried away before she was born. But the, I think the, the picture of the text is that she probably was carried away in the exile. She is beautiful, and she's an orphan. And yet Mordecai stepped up. Now, what happens if Mordecai doesn't step up here? What happens if Mordecai doesn't care for the orphan, Esther? Well, then this book doesn't happen. And you know what may not happen? The survival of the Jews. This book is really about the survival of the Jews, which is why it's in here, right? Because the Jews were oppressed by, by regime after regime after regime. And God, by his kind hand, sustained their execution to make them thrive because everything was about the survival of the Jewish people because through the Jewish people would become the son, the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, who was going to, to bring in uh, blessings to all the families of the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Mordecai, there would be no Esther. And without Esther, well, there would not be the salvation of the Jews, and there would not be a leading towards the Messiah, salvation for you and me. Right? Just think about the kind act that we're called to do in our own families. Maybe God wants you to step up and be a Mordecai, and to take someone into your home and to help raise them, whether that's through foster, foster care or adoption. Right? Maybe you have a family member, maybe you have a niece or, or, or a nephew or, or cousin that needs spiritual guidance. And thus far, you just kind of have, have ignored that slight tug on your heart that you should be more actively involved uh, in their life. Well, maybe you can help turn the course of their life, and they may have a life like Esther and the impact like Esther. We have no idea what our kind acts are going to produce down the road. You know, God knows, because God knows who he's going to bring into our path. God knows everything about us. And sometimes um, we, we forget that before we became to Christ, God had good works prepared in advance for us to do. What are the good works that God has called you to today? That the people that you pour in today, what can happen down the road? I mean, we just all maybe thought about recent days about Billy Graham. How was Billy Graham saved, Right? Uh, because God called somebody else to teach him the gospel, a faithful Sunday school teacher. So there, there may be some of you here who are, 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 are burdening over your Sunday school lesson, and you're thinking, what's the point, right? What's the point of all this labor? 
not knowing that maybe your words will help change someone's life and help them lead a long and productive life for the Lord, bringing many, if not thousands, to Christ. Let us not limit God. Mordecai saved Esther's life because she was an orphan, and he stepped up and said, I will care for her. How? As a daughter. Isn't it interesting how we just studied Ruth and the main hero of that story outside of Ruth herself is Boaz? And what did Boaz say several times in that book? Ruth is my daughter. My daughter. This is familial language of how we're trying to care for one another. Let's keep on going at verse 12. Now in the turn came for each young woman to go to the king, Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, so there was the regular period for their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices of ointments for women. When the young woman went to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Now, how many women are in, in the harem? We don't know exactly, but we probably know at least 127. And, 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 and the king has to choose Esther. Now remember, Esther is, is making it, not making it known who she, what her heritage is, what her background is, right? Now remember, in, in those days, you could tell ethnicity probably more from speech and culture than by appearance. In our days, it's a lot of times it, it's appearance. We kind of judge where people are coming from, but that wasn't the case in, 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 in this day. A lot of the, the women probably looked uh, similar. Verse 14. In the evening she would go in, in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of, of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Higai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the woman, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Now even that is God's providence. That Esther was just gaining favor wherever she went. Sometimes we can't control how things happen. It's only the hand of God. It's only God's favor. Uh, we had a, uh, a couple visit today. Kyle Smith, you, know, you remember Kyle? Um, uh, my son, Johnny, when he saw Kyle came into church today, he goes to Moses, he goes, Beauty brought a girl! <laughs> well, Beauty brought a girl, it's his, it's his girlfriend, and uh, uh, early on in the semester, uh, probably last August, uh, Kyle texted me and said, hey, I just had an opportunity to witness uh, to this young woman from Russia. She's in, my, in one of my classes. And this young woman who is from Russia is became a believer, and now they're dating, and, you know, God seems to be in, in their relationship. And, you know, he, he was sharing the story of how he, he shared the faith with her this morning. He said, you know, when I was sharing the gospel with her, I said, I'm sharing the gospel with you, and I know you're not going to, you may not really understand what I'm saying, because I believe that only God can give you insight and God can give you wisdom, right? So I just want to know that I believe that Jesus Christ is real, I believe he died on the cross as to save you from your sins, and if you repent and turn to him, he'll save you. But you may not understand that right now. Then there was this waiting time for her to kind of slowly understand, slowly understand. But God had to give um, Amara favor to hear and believe the, the gospel. 
to hear and believe the good news. It had to be an act of God. So all the things that you're, you're seeing here, now we can say, oh, that's coincidence. Well, there is no such thing as coincidence in the eyes of God. He is, he is ordaining and, and, and moving in everybody's life. That's exactly what's happening here in Esther's life. She's gaining favor with everybody she's having contact with. Think back to Joseph's life, right? Joseph really became an orphan, right? Was sent off as, as a slave. And everywhere Joseph went, what happened? God gave him favor. God gave him favor, ultimately getting him to the second in control of Egypt. See where Esther is going to end up. Verse 16. And when Esther was taken to King Arasaurus into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of, the reign, of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. When the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants, it was Esther's feast. She also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. It's a wonderful story to think about all the things that are happening here. Now, sometimes when you read a story like this, the first time you read it, there's all these names that you don't understand, right? And you kind of get lost a little bit in what's really happening here. But just understand that God and his kindness is making a Jewish woman, right, a, a, a queen in the land of Persia. Right, this is only the, the kindness and act of God. They ha there's so many things that had to happen to make this work that you can't just dismiss them. Right? First of all, the, that she had to be taken in by Mordecai. She had to be in uh, Susa, the capital. Uh, she had to be having favor by the harem to be to kind of given and, and taught how to present herself to the king. She had to have beauty. She had to be made uh, beautiful by the, by the Lord when he was knitting her in the womb, uh, when she was growing inside of, of her, her mother. Uh, her, her parents had to have had to perish, right? She had to be going to the king's uh, in the king's presence, and the king had to love her more than all the other uh, women that were brought into his presence. This is God working through Esther, and I, I just say that to just stop. When when we study the book of Esther, we have to understand that God is providentially working in your lives all the time. I remember when I um, when I was in seminary, and a lot of times the way I I, 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 I took some classes online, and I was taking an Old Testament class with uh, Al Mosley, right? And uh, one of my my for my job, I was running a group home for teenage mothers, and part of my job I had to drive them to work. It was a glorious job, right? And uh, they worked at an AT&T call center in King Street, South Carolina. So I had to drive from Somerton to King Street, South Carolina. So I'm driving uh, 45 minutes one way just to drop these girls off at work, right? Picking them up at 9 o'clock at night, right? So I'm, I'm, I get to these girls at 9 o'clock at night, and on the way I'd be listening to the lectures, right, uh, on an iPod. And I was listening to the lectures of, about Esther, about how God is providentially working in your lives and how all these things, how God is working, the same thing I'm telling you. And at that very moment, I promise you I get a flat tire. Right? And I, I, I know how to change a flat tire. There's not many things I can do with the car, but I can change a flat tire. It's one of the things I can do. So I go in the back of the car, 30, 30 minutes away from home, open up the hood, the jack is gone. 
The last person who changed the tire, which is probably me, put the, the jack in the other car. So there's no jack. So I, I can't do anything. I just have to sit there, right? And we're in, we're in the middle of nowhere, right? This is, this, this is a long, like a 20-minute road in the middle of nowhere. There's no gas stations. There is nothing by. And I'm just listening to the province of God. And I'm just like, this is, this is a... And it's my birthday, right? And it's my birthday. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm sitting there in the middle of nowhere, don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, this guy in a pickup truck just kind of rolls up to the, to the house right in front of me. That's interesting. He sees me outside, walks out with a jack. Jacks up the car, changes the tire, and I'm sitting there. And I'm, I'm hard enough to like cry and get, get all emotional because this is all God's saying to me. He says, Dave, no matter what happens in your life, I got you. I got you. I am in complete control of this universe. And how many times do we doubt him? How many times do we doubt the kind, provident, providential hand of God? Listen, God is working in your lives. God places you exactly where you want, where He wants you to be, when He wants you to be there. Do not doubt Him. This is exactly what Esther was designed to teach the Jewish people. Don't fret. Fret not. Trust in the Lord. This is the same thing the Lord Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. Right? One day I'm going to take you to be where I am. Just... Follow me. How do we know the way you're going to go, Lord? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus says, just follow me, and I will take you to the promised land. It doesn't mean following Jesus is going to be easy. It's rather not going to be easy, right? If you follow Jesus wherever he goes, he may take you to discomfort. He may take you to poverty. He may take you to sickness. But he will be taking you through that to the promised land. It's a reminder to the Jewish people that God always has a plan for his people. It goes on in verse 19. It says, Now when the, Jew, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now remember, what was Mordecai doing? He was going to check on Esther. Why? Because he treated her like a daughter. So not only was he, he took in an orphan girl, but he treated her as a daughter. And look at what happened because Mordecai treated um, Esther as a daughter, caring for her well-being. Esther was not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she went up, when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Fan and Teresh, two of the king's units who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Osiris. Mordecai just happened to be listening to a plot against the king. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. So Esther is not probably laying the details of who Mordecai was. He's just saying, listen, I've heard this from a man named Mordecai that your life is going to be uh, attempted. Someone's going to attempt to take your life. When the affair was investigated, it found to be so, the men were both hanged in the gallows. And, key word, key sentence, and it was recorded in the book of, chroni of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. You know, if you ever read good, um, good fiction, 
right? If you ever read good fiction, all they're doing is, is they're, they're hijacking the book of Esther, right? They set up a story of different things that happened in the beginning of the book, only to see them come to conclusion at the end of the book, how this one little piece of detail that you read about in chapter 3 you thought was inconsequential, but actually comes to be the, the main point and resolution of the story. Listen, when you read Esther at the beginning, it doesn't look all that providential. But you see all the things that happen to take place. All you see is the hand of God. And remember, it's the hand of God of how he is going to save his people from sin and death. It's how he's going to save you and me, the promise of the Messiah, how God always will keep his people to the day he calls them home. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would, oh God, that you would help us trust in your providential hand. God, we pray that we would never doubt you. Lord, as we begin to look at Esther and how you unfold this great story, we pray, God, that our hearts would rejoice and trust you even more for how you're working that you are working in our lives. Oh God, increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name.